also asking for a net 10 discount. If I pay you early, is there anything that you can do on the price? And I don't think enough buyers ask the buyers for that. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today, we get to chat about one of my favorite topics, ingredients. While the consumer sees a nice, tidy ingredient list on the back of the package, the other side of finding the right ingredients with the right taste, at the right price, from the right supplier, and at the right time is no easy task. So we've got just the right expert to talk us through it, Lillian Cartwright, the co-founder and CEO of Shelf Life, a B2B marketplace for wholesale ingredients built with emerging brands in mind. Listen in as Lillian shares about how to make the switch from sourcing from Amazon or Cisco to a wholesale supplier, what to prepare before reaching out to a supplier for a quote, logistics to think through when onboarding with the new supplier, how to use contracts to stabilize an ingredient's supply and pricing, tips for negotiating pricing and payment terms, how to streamline your supplier outreach efforts, and more. Hi, Lillian. Welcome to the show today. So glad to have you here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to have you here, especially as a Shelf Life user myself. So I would love if you could start us off by tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to to found Shelf Life and then a little bit about, you know, describe Shelf Life to us. Sure, absolutely. So Shelf Life is a B2B marketplace for wholesale ingredients. We are specifically designed to serve uh, emerging food and beverage brands um, from some of the earliest stages all the way up to scale and nationwide distribution. Um, We also work with contract manufacturers as well. Um, But a little bit about me, I'm an East Coast native. I was born Uh, in Annapolis, Maryland, um, went to undergrad on the East Coast. And so I initially started my career in all places in Denver, Colorado. Um, I was excited for a new experience, new opportunity, wanted to get away um, and see some new things. And I found a mid-stage startup called Craftsy. um, And we were building video education when video education was a little bit more of a sexier industry for creatives of all types. So this would be a quilter or a knitter or a cake decorator or a baker. Um, They could come to Craftsy and take hundreds of courses online to really dive deeper into their craft and perfect it. And so we were constantly dealing with uh, and serving a number of um, creative entrepreneurs. uh, And as um, someone in charge of digital marketing and then consumer insights, I was enamored with that side of the business and really helping um, this type of, of entrepreneur really make a living off of you know what they were passionate about and, and what they did best. And so um, I left that experience knowing two things. One, I knew I wanted to start my own high growth company. And two, I really wanted to dive into the world of food and beverage CPG. Um, So as I was in Denver, I was exploring the brewery ecosystem. I had friends in the space. I also worked with a number of folks that came from the natural food and beverage space, just based on proximity uh, to that area. And I started working on my own Spike Seltzer brand. Um, This was before I decided to go back to business school. Uh, And for about a year, I was working through 
um, the first production run and finding a contract brewer. And with that came uh, sourcing ingredients and working with suppliers or trying to find suppliers that would work with us in the nascent stages. And so that was my first introduction to the problem area that we address at Shelf Life of where do you go when you're looking for ingredients at scale and what types of suppliers will work with you at the earliest stages uh, and then as you scale up. And then the last question was, what prices should I be paying for my raw materials? And all of this seems like a black box to me. Uh, and so I eventually pivoted and came up with the concept behind Shelf Life to serve the broader ecosystem of brands much further along in their journey than myself at the time, but still with the same um, issues around sourcing materials, establishing relationships with high quality suppliers, and then ultimately figuring out what their unit economics are and and what they could be in the future. Great. Yeah, that's a super interesting path that you took. And it's really cool that you you, um, were able to turn that that experience of having those issues on the brand side and then figure out how to create a solution to to help emerging brands, you know, like like those in our community, because definitely as someone that's faced a lot of sourcing challenges, like it's it's very tough on the on the smaller scale. So that that's super interesting. And I'm wondering if you can kind of kind of diving into some of the questions. I'd love to hear your perspective on since you focus on supporting emerging brands, like there's kind of this inflection point you reach as a brand where, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're using a, a shared kitchen, um, you know, you're sourcing in smaller quantities, and then you're going to either a, you know, a co-manufacturer and, and you're going to have to, there's going to be different requirements. So maybe before you could go to cash and carry and just buy something you needed or, um, or Cisco or even Amazon and just hop on, buy what you needed, make it the next day. But then as you scale, you start to need, you know, there's different requirements for manufacturing. Can you kind of talk about that inflection point and what the difference is between, you know, sourcing from those kind of more informal suppliers to, you know, the more formal wholesale suppliers? Sure, absolutely. Um, this may be a very oversimplified answer, but it definitely depends on your order quantities um, and the MOQs of the suppliers that you're dealing with. Um, and so when you are doing more regular, larger production runs, or you start a relationship with a contract manufacturer that now um, either wants you to set up your own relationships with suppliers or source very specialty and specific ingredients, um, you'll want to start exploring options beyond Cisco or or Amazon, um, primarily also because they offer drastically different uh, prices for these wholesale um, purchases. Typically, starting quantities would be you know a full pallet, um, and even within a full pallet, maybe you could break them up into various ingredients offered by the same supplier. And then also, you'll want to make sure that these suppliers have the documentation that is required by your manufacturer, and then also is a requirement for your label as well. So as the manufacturer, you might request a COA, certificate of analysis, um, that really dives deeper into an ingredient's microbiological properties, heavy metals testing, and things of that nature. Um, You'll also want to make sure that they have organic certifications and that those are up to date, non-GMO, gluten-free certified, kosher, things of that nature that are really 
a, a need based on your labeling requirements. And then lastly, I would also say this should be a conversation with whoever your formulator is, whether that's a part of the contract manufacturer that you're working with. Maybe the formulator is actually a part of one of the suppliers that you're working with, but you'll really want to work with them to create a specification sheet internally, really, of each ingredient and what temperature or size or heat treatment and everything is is required per ingredient. Great. Yeah, that's that's helpful. And it it can be a tough jump to make too, like you said, of with like the MOQs and so minimum order quantity. So when you're when you're just going and picking something up or from, you know, Cisco or Amazon, you can sometimes just buy one of something versus, you know, going to a pallet or it becomes a a storage issue of, you know, if you can have something just delivered to you every week, you don't have to store very much or pay for that storage. And so do you have any tips for brands of as you kind of navigate that that transition of how to, you know, make that simpler? You kind of mentioned like preparing some internal spec sheets, working with your formulators. I wonder if there's any other tips you have for kind of making that transition less painful or ways to think about it as well that maybe help. Because like if you want to be non-GMO certified, you're not going to be able to source from Amazon. And so, but there's going to be some trade-offs. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll definitely want to work with your formulator. You'll definitely, you'll most likely want to go through a sampling process with each and every one of your suppliers. But I also think it's important to not only think about what you need from your supplier, but also recognize that your supplier is bringing on a new client Um, That could be a long-term relationship. And so you also, in the same way that I'm sure, you try to find a contract manufacturer or um, an investor even, you'll want to make sure that they're bought into what you're creating and how it's scaling and how it's growing. Um, So you'll want to introduce your product to the supplier and make sure that they understand the vision a little bit or or can view your product on a website at the very least and and really show that you know you, there is demand for your product and that um you have put the time in to forecast it out so presenting a forecast to your supplier can only help in terms of pricing and making sure that you have the correct materials as you scale up so you'll want to come to them with a forecast that maybe has a base case and forecasts are never 100% correct. So um, definitely wouldn't you know find this to be a, a drastically daunting task. But if there's any way you can get like a base case of, you know, these are our, our guaranteed POs and, and we know that we'll do this volume. And then maybe in a, an aggressive case where, you know, this is this is where we hope to be. Uh, over the next 12 months. And so this is the type of supply that we need for this specific ingredient as well. So um, I would definitely see this as a two-way street and make sure you're setting yourself up to put your best foot forward for any new supplier that you're reaching out to. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think it's a mind uh, mindset shift. I know that I kind of had to work through that myself of when I was trying to find new suppliers and I was viewing it as very transactional of like, I need cornstarch and I'm going to read out to people that need that sell cornstarch. And I just assume that they're going to reach back out to me with the pricing and we'll have our transaction. And it's not necessarily how it works because a lot of these wholesale ingredient suppliers, they have they have really big clients that are a lot of their volume and they've seen a lot of little brands fail. And so they may be a little hesitant to take you on and give you credit terms. And so 
I think it's, I'm glad you really mentioned the the mindset of kind of, you know, uh, preparing your information and letting them see it and kind of buy into your brand and, and prepare a little bit of a pitch because it's really, it's really a two-way relationship that you're trying to build and you want them to see your vision and be bought into where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. And it can only help you long-term. I mean, if for instance, they know that you're buying um, cornstarch and uh, coconut sugar, like, and they know your list of, of materials, there is a possibility that they could provide more of an ingredient solution and, and pricing breaks along with that. So in my mind, the more information you share with them, the better position you'll be in from a cost cost saving standpoint. Uh, and also the more bought in they'll be to your growth and, and really prioritizing you as a client, uh, especially on some of those in high demand ingredients uh, and low supply. So absolutely, I think it can only help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely gone in with that narrow focus of like, I just need this one ingredient. I'm trying to solve this. You reach out to the supplier and then you know, you, there's kind of this missed opportunity that, you know, maybe down the road, maybe they say, hey, are there other ingredients we can supply? And then, you know, you send off like, hey, actually, here's all the things I need. And to my surprise, almost always they come back of actually we can supply, you know, four or five or plus more of your ingredients and here's the pricing. And so it, and then that's just less logistics for you to manage if you can have one central point. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And on the on the forecasting side, I know that's something that I've definitely overthought and then I've had to be like, okay, we just got to start with with some numbers. And like you said, provide a low end and a high end. And is that something, you know, that if if you're really new and really starting out, you don't have any historicals off of, do you have any other tips for that forecasting piece of just kind of how to get over the mental hurdle of like, oh, I don't want these numbers to be wrong, but I got to send off something and like, you don't want to spend hours prepping something that's probably not worth all of that. Like any other tips on the forecasting piece? Yeah. I mean, you should always have a forecast internally as well, just for goal setting purposes. Um, and again, you should have a conservative forecast and an aggressive forecast. I believe this is something that you know, you're going to need as you seek external help, whether it's from a supplier or from an investor or a manufacturer. So um, definitely, definitely tough to know where to get started. Um, but there are certainly a number of, of resources that you can use to kind of even even start by saying like, this is where I want to be in 12 months and then working backwards of is this mm-hmm. achievable? I think that's helped me as a as a founder as well. Okay, like what is the north star, and then how do I get there? Uh, is is always a good place to start. And then from there, you can also say, okay, well, where am I at today? And and if we keep doing the same thing, or if if this partnership were to fall through, like where would I be? Um, it definitely depends on the application for the forecast. Like you want to be overly optimi- optimistic if you're going into an investor pitch, and then. Maybe if you're looking at signing a long-term contract, you know, you don't want to be left with the responsibility for excess inventory. So you might actually want to go under your lowest forecast when you start looking at contracting uh, for a specific material. So I don't know if that's really helpful, but I think it's it's always difficult to know how to get started when you have nothing to work off of. Um, mm-hmm. But it gets e- easier over time as you continue to learn and and the months go by and and you hit your projections or you exceed them 
um, or you undercut them and, and you make adjustments along the way. And I think your suppliers will understand that, your manufacturers will understand that, your investors will understand that. You just have to create a starting point. Um, and typically, I would say that starts with where do you want to be and then working backwards from there. Great. Yeah. And I want to dig more into contracting in a minute. But I, I also want to talk a little bit more about when you're kind of first engaging with a supplier, do you get feedback from the suppliers in your network on like, oh, we love when brands reach out to us with these really clear subject lines or, you know, they start their phone call with this or 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 we we hate it when they don't include this information. Do you get any feedback on kind of some best practices of what your suppliers, you know, really love as far as that first outreach and the information to include? I know you covered a few things, but I'm curious about kind of the supplier feedback. Sure. Um, the date that you need your first shipment is is mm-hmm. important. Volumes as upfront you, as you can be with that. Um, if not volumes, some sort of indicator that you have the resources for an upcoming production run at the ready and you're really serious about building a, a near-term relationship. And then the last bit is a, is around that like bill of materials. Like, can I get insight into your overall recipe or your your overall list of, of ingredients that you need? Because oftentimes, even if your volumes are too low per se on one ingredient, they might be able to work with you if you're ordering other ingredients that they have and they can wrap them all into one palette. So that's also um, something worth mentioning up front, in my opinion, uh, is saying, you know, can we price all of these ingredients? These are my rough volumes. And this is an estimate of when I would need the first shipment to arrive. Right. And do you find that it helps to also kind of, you know, speak the right language of asking for, you know, saying what's your minimum order quantity for this ingredient or or what's the pack size? You know, are those kind of questions helpful to kind of indicate that you've you've done your homework on the supplier, done your homework on how it kind of works? Yeah, absolutely. I think knowing that they have MOQs and that you need to make sure that they're the right supplier for you at this stage is very important. Also knowing what certifications you need. So having those conversations with your manufacturers up front to make sure that you are meeting with a supplier that can actually provide what your manufacturer requires is is important um, to just have that conversation up front. So no time is wasted. Um, so, so absolutely, I would be as prepared as possible. And I think that starts with having a conversation with your formulator and your manufacturer and coming prepared uh, to the supplier with, with what your needs are. I also would, would love if you could maybe share with us a little bit about the supplier landscape. So you've got, you know, sometimes you're, you're working directly with a company. A lot of times you're working with, uh, with brokers. Yeah. Sometimes you have like distributors locally. I know in Oregon, and we have a couple really great local wholesale distributors that yeah. help you, you know, you just need one bag of seeds. You're not ready for the pallet, but it's not Cisco. Can you talk about some of the different players in the in the supplier world that you might interact with as a brand? Yeah, absolutely. You cover the the three different uh, types of, of suppliers that you'll work with. So a broker um, really has a good read uh, overall on who has what and and serves as a middleman of sorts uh, in, in terms of making sure that you get the ingredients that you need, but doesn't necessarily hold inventory themselves. Um, a distributor typically purchases from the manufacturer and then breaks it down into smaller quantities, say, even by the pallet sometimes, because oftentimes manufacturers will only sell by the truckload, if not even larger (laughs) quantities. So 
a lot of times emerging brands will be working with regional distributors for various materials. Um, so one great distributor that we work with is, is Smirks or Abbott Blackstone. They sell hundreds of, of different ingredients by the palette um, to a lot of mid-sized manufacturers and brands. You know, if you're if you're going direct, um, it does depend on the ingredient. Uh, for instance, like frozen fruits and vegetables, you'll typically go direct to the processor for that. Um, so, and they'll typically handle the smaller quantities as well. So um, you can go say to like snowpack foods are doing the processing themselves. So I would say they're like going direct to the manufacturer versus a distributor of their products. And then you'll have really large manufacturers of ingredients, uh, say McCormick pretty much owns the spice market in the US. Uh, and so you'll have a lot of distributors of their products uh, when it comes to spices. And then you'll also have pretty large like flavor houses that create ingredient solutions uh, that typically... The interesting thing with them is that they will work with emerging brands early on, and they'll even work with you in the formulation process. And a lot of times they have programs for emerging brands as well, where the amount that you pay them for the formulation can be applied to the purchase of raw materials as well. So maybe you'll pay them, say, 20 to 50K for formulation, but then that can be applied to your first order of flavors, ingredient solutions. This is more so in like the beverage category. We see a lot of this, but that's, it's kind of a black box, this industry, but um that's kind of how we view it uh, at Shelf Life. Yeah, that's super helpful. And um, the, I'm really glad you brought up the flavor houses as well, because that's something really interesting and, you know, something that uh, I I didn't think about before of like, <laughs> oh, it, it makes sense of like, okay, the people that are developing flavors for products have an incentive to yes. help you develop that flavor into your products. So there's going to be incentives for that. So there's such a great resource often underutilized and in the industry, I think, because they're, you know, again, you're just you're looking up like, oh, I, I need a flavor, I guess I'll just find something, you know, quick that exists or whatever. And then you realize there's these great resources out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I mean, they want to work with these emerging brands that are just making huge waves in this space, especially in the beverage category. So the mm -hmm. earlier that they can get the opportunity to work with them, the better. And so that kind of is like a win-win setup um, that they've created. But definitely something worth exploring with some of these larger, um, seemingly difficult to reach uh, flavor houses that are out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate the the breakdown on the, the landscape as well. I know when I was kind of getting started, I thought I was really clever looking at the, you know, the bag of cereal and being like, oh, I'll just skip the distributor and go straight to the manufacturer. And I called them and they said, oh, great to meet you. How many truckloads would you right. like? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah. Um, wrong number. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then realizing like, OK, that's maybe a five year goal kind of thing. But yeah, there's a lot of important pieces and finding a great broker, um, you know, to work with or distributor, like you mentioned, like Smirks or something that has access to a lot of different ingredients can be can be really helpful. Yeah, I love that you were thinking big, though, at the beginning, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with right. that. Like you never know. <laughs> I mean, and even get get pricing comps. I, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think that's also something that, you know, I want to encourage people to do is always reassess. Like you never know if you've outgrown something until you start exploring other options. And so, hey, nothing wrong with starting big, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, 
squirrel away that information somewhere. I always like to save all the pricing info in kind of some sort of central place. So it's not like, oh, shoot, I got a quote on that, you know, six months ago with the email. Now I got to dig through my email and find it. If you can kind of save it all in a central place that that can help for when you're like, oh, I'm ready to scale. Now I have the person to reach out to right here. Yep. That's what we're all about. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. And what are some of the other logistics to think through with a supplier, you know, as far as getting the ingredients to you? Can, you know, are you going to warehouse it all? Can they warehouse part of it and ship it to you? What are some of the the logistical pieces to think through as you're choosing a supplier or or to questions to ask as you're establishing the relationship so that, you know, you're, you're all buttoned up once you're ready to place your first purchase order. Yeah. Delivered, uh, pricing wise, I I think is the first hurdle you'll run into. You'll want to know if that price is like the delivered price or FOB, which means you have to add the freight to it. Um, and then who is managing the freight? Like does the supplier manage freight or are you going to manage freight? And is that something you'll need to quote externally? And this obviously uh, is dependent upon the supplier's location, their facility location, and your manufacturing location. And that can drastically, especially in today's day and age, factor into the cost per pound, kilogram, however you measure measure it. And so definitely something that even in the quoting process, you'll really want to clear up sooner rather than later. And then you'll also want to talk with your manufacturer if that's a separate party and understand delivery requirements and warehousing availability at the manufacturing facility. Don't want someone to show up with a full truckload and there's nowhere to put it. Uh, So really clearing that up with the manufacturer. And um, you'll want to get a good understanding of frequency of delivery just so that they can start to um, get ahead of any lead time issues, et cetera, on their end. Uh, And then lastly would be around warehousing. A number of distributors do provide warehousing services. And they'll charge you, you know, on a regular basis for any sort of storage exposure and warehousing fees um, that are incurring. So you might want to factor that into your price per pound as well. Uh, So a number of these services are offered, especially by distributors that oftentimes you can and and should take advantage of uh, given different requirements. We work with, with a company that does a ton of frozen uh, fruits and vegetables. And so it's they don't have that much frozen storage. So they need to to go for external frozen storage. And, and so that's a huge implication on their cost. Uh, and so it's definitely something that you should factor into your um, unit economics uh, as you're as you're working with distributors. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned lead times in there as well. And that's, that's something that that can, you know, can really vary. And you you mentioned, you know, mentioning up front when you're reaching out to a supplier of, you know, when you need it, but you know, any other like best practices for starting to incorporate, you know, working with larger suppliers that there, there are just going to be lead times, it's going to be a reality. And so, you know, what do you find helps brands kind of start planning for lead times and planning for different ingredients to have lead times and, you know, just navigating that. Yeah. I mean, you have to understand that. And, and a lot of most of the ingredients that we deal with, because we're in the bars and snacks and beverage categories are shelf stable, processed in some way ingredients. Um, but you have to remember that they all have a growing season or stem from fresh grown produce. And so seasonality is something that needs to be taken into consideration as you're planning your year and and the years ahead. 
Um, so lead times are definitely something that you want to kind of, a, a, you want to err on the side of caution when it comes to lead times and not assume things will be ready on short notice. And so oftentimes, especially as you're getting more mature and really taking hold of your demand forecasting, you'll want to start to talk to your suppliers about longer term contracts and really building in some stability and some guaranteed availability into your relationship with those suppliers. And oftentimes that does look like a multi-year contract for the kind of must-have ingredients in your recipe. Yeah. And I think it's especially important as an emerging brand, because I know that, you know, like you said, there's seasonality and growth cycles. And so I know when I've been sourcing fruit in the past of Mm -hmm. as an emerging supplier, you know, there are all these contracts in place with these, you know, to kind of claim most of the strawberry crop, essentially. And I just need, you know, 20 pounds of strawberries. And I'm just kind of counting on strawberries always existing. And then you call and it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, strawberries are gone. See you next season. Um, And so, you know, as an emerging brand, it's especially important to understand the cycles and where where you fit into into the system and and trying to you know contract and and plan for for your little piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, it's tough like when you are working with relatively low volumes, but if you can think ahead several months before the grow season and start to reach out to suppliers and get a feel for for what they're anticipating. I'm always I'm always learning something new from our suppliers and just their read, especially even distributors and their read on the availability and supply and demand forecasts for various raw materials. Raspberry powder for instance was just impossible to get your hands on yes. and it's Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's that is something that they knew months ago. And so it's like, can you at least get ahead of that and start to have conversation early, even when you don't have the volumes? Um, Because the more time you have to prepare, the more you can check resources like shelf life and see what's out there and make sure that you have enough leads to to get the volumes that you need. Yeah. Are there any resources you recommend? I know for Myself, I found the Smirks has a really great commodity report yes. that they <laughs> sent out. I loved that report because it really helped me be like, oh, okay, sunflower seeds are having a rough time. They're recommending I get a contract in place now. And then sure enough, six months later, prices went up, but had the contract in in place or understanding the growing cycles. Are there other resources like that that you that you recommend, whether it's shelf life or just in, in general for kind of navigating the commodities and understanding growing seasons and, and kind of keeping a watch on things? Yeah, I mean, Smirks was definitely going to be one of the resources that I was suggesting everyone should tap into. Um, they are a wealth of knowledge on on things to look out for in fluctuations in supply. USDA website, Agricultural Marketing Service does like a um, like a pricing kind of benchmark uh, commodities chart that I, that's always helpful and and to see kind of what's uh, how the prices are fluctuate fluctuating all the way down to the agricultural level and then you'll also want to look at commodities exchanges and keep track of what's important to to your uh, manufactured product and your brand. Um, so I would treat it as you know, as your kind of stock market or, or exchange and, and really keep track of, of how various ingredients are trending. Shelf life 
was built to to bring more transparency to this space in terms of pricing and volume discounts that exist and what are the average aggregated prices based on your volumes and the ingredient and the certifications that you're looking for. And we're in the earliest stages, but you know, we're there as a resource for you to receive and keep track of your pricing quotes over time and your purchasing behavior over time and how that's trending. Um, So we're always open and you can always submit a quote for the materials that we uh, have on our site and, and that's growing every day. So that's definitely a space that we're looking to democratize and, and really provide emerging brands with the resources they need to ensure that they're getting a fair price for their ingredients. Yeah, no, that's great. Just having everything in a central location is is so important. And and then, you know, you mentioned the the, you know, understanding the price and quantity breaks too. If that's sometimes the suppliers will provide that up front to you. But, you know, if that's something that you can find out of, you know, if I order, sometimes there's a break between you know, one pail and five pails and two pallets. And that can help you do your your planning and pricing to understand those things. And then storing it all at a central place is huge. Absolutely. On the note of contracting, I feel like this is something that was really intimidating to me because I was like, oh gosh, as an emerging brand, this seems like really formal or like that I've got to be super buttoned up or it seems, you know, I don't know, it's, it seemed complicated and, and difficult um, and mm-hmm. kind of overwhelming. But then once you kind of got a couple in place, it was like, oh, these don't have to be huge numbers. You can just kind of have a conversation about it and figure out something Absolutely. that works. So can, can you talk us through kind of, you know, how to approach, you know, t- uh, a contract conversation? What are some of the questions to ask? And what are some kind of normal terms that you're going to see and just kind of any tips for emerging brands navigating contracting an ingredient for the first time? Yeah, it definitely seems uh, a bit daunting. And like you need to have everything buttoned up to reach the subject. I would say it all starts with your own forecast uh, and figuring out, okay, if we're forecasted to sell through, you know, this many bars, like we need to produce this many bars. Um, for the year, definitely developing a conservative and aggressive forecast. And then looking at the most commonly used raw materials, I would start there and then also potentially focus on those materials that are in high demand for whatever reason. And I would base your contract, uh, you know, say 80% of your forecast just to limit some of your exposure and then work uh down from there for subsequent years. So, you know, 80% of your forecast for the the first year and then maybe 50% forecast for the second year um, and really propose that to the supplier that you're working with. Um, you'll also want to consider uh, and work with them on any sort of storage and warehousing fees if that is a part of, of the contract. So it definitely costs them to warehouse anything on your behalf and hold that inventory for you. And if you're not able to warehouse a large quantity yourself, then that's definitely something you'll need to work with the supplier on. And you'll definitely want to speak with them about if there is any excess, if there's an arrangement um, where they can sell it on the spot market on your behalf, or um, if you will you know, have that liability Uh, if for whatever reason, you don't need the material as much material as you forecasted as well. So that's definitely something worth considering. And the last bit would be to talk about payment terms. Um, Typically, 
you'll pay for the material as you pull it from inventory. Um, so you'll send a PO for the amount that you need delivered. Um, and then at that time you would, you would pay for, uh, the remaining portion of that specific amount of material. So there are various arrangements that you can have in terms of, do they want 50% of the contract paid up front? And then you pay the rest as you pull it from inventory, or do you pay as you go and they actually don't need anything down? Uh, so it's, there are various arrangements that you can you can be in. Yeah, that's very helpful to um, to hear hear you kind of talk through some of those different pieces to navigate. Thank you. And also, how many you know in general, how many kind of backup suppliers or suppliers for the same ingredient would would you recommend that you know that brands are kind of putting the research in and establishing relationships with sure um i would you know we recommend at least two and oftentimes your manufacturer has the requirement to have two suppliers of of each material um so at least two i would say having a, a tertiary supplier for each ingredient is even better but you know if this year has taught us anything it's definitely ha- have some backup yeah the more the more redundancies uh you can have it, the better and also planning ahead for that of it's it's one thing to have that supplier name on a list saved yeah. somewhere. It's another thing to have already established the relationship, received samples, tested those samples and made sure that it that it Absolutely. really works. Yep. Yeah. And on the sampling process, you know, what what would you say is kind of reasonable to ask for as as far as samples or, you know, getting samples, any any tips for navigating that, that part of the process of, you know, testing it out for your product and also, you know, not asking the supplier for for too much of a, a sample necessarily for free before you've committed to buying it. Yeah. Um, sampling is is understood as like a, a common practice. And I don't think you should be hesitant in requesting samples. Sometimes the supplier will request that you pay for the freight involved or the shipping involved with sending the sample. But oftentimes, that's just the cost of doing business. And so I wouldn't be shy in asking for samples to to use in your manufacturing process definitely a part of the of the purchasing flow that that we're working to streamline um, and make more beneficial for both sides but it's it's a common practice and you shouldn't be shy about asking for samples um, to make sure that that ingredient works with your formula yeah for sure and you know, I've, I've found it's helpful to clarify the size of the sample or clarify maybe how much you need because I've asked for samples before and then received like two freeze dried raspberries. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, this is great. I, I can eat one and be like, that tastes good. But it's it's kind of hard to, to test on the yes, on the line. Sure. I mean, sure, you're not going to do a full run or anything, but it's nice to have a little bit that you can do at least a small test batch or, you know, enough for you to work with. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You you definitely want to make sure and work with your formulator, manufacturer on their specific sample needs uh, to make sure that it actually works um, within your product. Yeah, that's a great point. Are there any other like best practices or common mistakes that, you know, that we haven't covered that you see you know, brands navigating, you know, your platform really, really set them up for 
success or that you, you know, any feedback from suppliers, anything that we've missed that just kind of helpful tips? Not too much. We've covered a lot. I would say in general for the emerging brand space, we're seeing a lot of exciting negotiating happening on shelf life. And typically brands and purchasers in this space were acting as price takers or um, were just taking uh, the first price that they were were given by a supplier willing to work with them. And we're definitely seeing some questions being asked or um, some additional quotes being sent out and not just simply sitting back and taking the, the prices um, that you're quoted initially. Uh, and then also asking about volume discounts and pricing breaks and do you offer volume discounts? Well, what if I were to order this amount or, oh, my annual volumes are this amount. Does that change anything? And so really getting engaged in the conversation with the supplier a lot earlier on. And then the last bit that I would add is is talk about payment terms. I mean, cash is is extremely valuable for high growth emerging brands, uh, especially as you're fulfilling contracts with your retailers and and still waiting to to get paid on the on the end. So so really going down into the granular level of, of working with suppliers on payment terms um, can be really pivotal. But if you don't need extended payment terms, also asking for a net 10 discount. If I pay you early, um, is there anything that you can do on the price? And I don't think enough buyers ask suppliers for that. Yeah, that's great. That's that's super helpful to remember to ask for for that discount and talk through those terms and I'm wondering what you see as far as, you know, how much time do you plan for kind of set up with the supplier? Because I know I've seen, you know, especially if you're trying to establish terms and you've got to submit some references, I've seen Mm -hmm. it take between a couple days to a month to get those things, you know, approved. So how long do you kind of have, do you recommend to brands to kind of add to your first order's lead time when you onboard a new supplier? Yeah, I would say 30 days. I mean, we're working through this process as well. And, and, um, a lot of what we're building on the software side of shelf life is really how to streamline the onboarding process with a new supplier and make it as as straightforward and and seamless as possible. But I would definitely give yourself an additional month just to um, go through a supplier's unique onboarding process and really make sure you have everything squared away. You know, in in addition to or uh, kind of in parallel with with the lead time that they need for the actual material. Great, yeah. And I'd love if you could just tell us more about using shelf life. You know how. Is it free to create an account? What's what's kind of the experience or, you know, if, if you're looking for a specific ingredient, kind of take us through the, you know, the typical experience of using Shelf Life. Absolutely. It is free to use as a resource for emerging brands and their manufacturers. Um, you can go on to Shelf Life at any point, search for the ingredient that you need, include any sort of specifications in that search term, whether it's organic or non-GMO. And the most applicable ingredient will um, show up on the results page first. And you can start requesting a quote, filling out the request for quote form, which just asks all of those uh, most important details around volumes and frequency uh, and any sort of specification needs for that ingredient. You can submit the quote. It goes directly to the supplier. Uh, All that we ask is that you create an account with us first. Um, and it's completely free to use. And we also are working through the entire purchasing process and building out really thoughtful 
tools for the buyers to streamline the process from purchase order creation all the way to paying down an an invoice with the supplier uh, via ACH or credit card. So really, really working to become um, a brand's go-to tool when it comes to purchasing ingredients and building relationships with suppliers. Yeah, I love that. That's that's really cool. And how, so when you're, you know, you, you submit a, you submit a request and then, so you're interacting with the, with the supplier within shelf life, how, you know, how long do you typically kind of see the back and forth to, you know, are the suppliers checking on their side really frequently and getting back to you fairly quickly? Have you found? Yeah, absolutely. So the suppliers that we work with, uh, are very quick to respond typically within the day. Uh, the way it works is, the request for quote goes directly to the supplier's inbox, their normal email that they're using every day. Um, And then they respond to the quote as they would any sort of email. So we really haven't uh, caused any sort of disruption in their current sales process or any sort of uh, kind of change in behavior there. Um, And so the suppliers that we work with um, are excited to get leads from Shelf Life and respond uh, very frequently to the requests uh, that come through the platform. And then you'll see the pricing populate within your profile within the Shelf Life application. uh, And you can act on the pricing from there. You can approve the price or reject the price. And once you approve it, you can actually start um, creating your first purchase order and then also working with the supplier through any sort of onboarding documents that um, will also be available within the Shelf Life app. Great. And do you do you see um, brands using the portal also interact with suppliers much on the phone? I'm maybe it's a I'm I'm always an old school phone call person too. So I'm wondering how you know if you see you know phone interactions still happening or is it mostly streamlined through kind of email and and the and the portal? That's a great question. Um, this space is definitely uh, loves to build long standing relationships, and we definitely don't want to stand in the way of that. Um, I will say that we encourage everyone to use the platform because it's a source of record. Um, so if you are receiving a notification of a disruption in delivery, or you're receiving um, a pricing adjustment or anything of that nature, we do encourage people to use the platform because it will be recorded within your profile, both for yourself or any other member of your team. Whereas with a phone call, um, we often forget what is said over the phone uh, and there's yeah. no source <laughs> of record. So while you know we want people to build longstanding relationships, we do feel uh, that having the communications associated with specific ingredients and supplier-buyer relationships benefits both parties. Uh, and so we encourage everyone to, to use the platform to communicate. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I love just having a central place and also just being able to go to the Shelf Life website and search for an ingredient and, and just realize that there's more options. You know, you can really get stuck on a Google search or asking your network and nobody's <laughs> yeah. getting back to you and to be able to go somewhere and, you know, type in an ingredient and see some options is just, is, you know, so refreshing and then be able to store all the information in one place. It's, it's really cool. So I definitely encourage, you know, all of our, our brands in the community to go check it out. You just go to shelflife.us and then, you know, if, if anyone has any, any, you know, issues or questions, I believe they can just reach out to at hello at shelflife.us uh, okay. as an email and reach your team. Is that, is there anything else, you know, to know there? 
Absolutely. Uh, that's it. Uh, you can also email me. I'm Lillian at shelflife.us at any time, uh, and I'll get you pointed in the right direction. Um, but excited to continue to build out this resource and learn from this community um, how to best serve them through these tumultuous times. So thanks so much. This is great. Yeah. And you're in you're in the startup CPG Slack as well, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been in there uh, since the beginning of this, this year and, and, um, excited to, to help out, um, wherever we can. Uh, my colleague Kyra is also in that channel. She's a little bit more active than I am. Um, but yeah, feel free, feel free to connect with me at any time regarding your ingredient needs or if I can help in any way. Great. Well, thank you, Lillian. This was super helpful. I'm, I'm always, I I love to, I could nerd out about ingredients all day. (laughs) Um, so this has been, this has been awesome. I think it's the farm girl and me growing up growing commodities. I'm still, I'm very, uh, very interested in, in commodities and sourcing. So this has been super fun. You, you provided so many great tips and information. I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, for our community to be able to listen to this and also just so grateful that you and your team are in our Slack community engaging and, and, you know, so committed to helping emerging brands navigate, you know, something that has historically been very tricky. So thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to our partner Shelf Life for sponsoring this episode. Visit shelflife.us for more information. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by the Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.